Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks for listening in on another episode. Or if this is your first time stopping by, I'm grateful to have you. This podcast is all about the getting started moments, the turning points that got each guest started on a new path toward happiness, the ups and downs of the journey, how they were able to commit to a change, and all the lessons learned along the way. I hope you all enjoyed this particular episode, so let's jump right in and get it started. On this week's episode, I welcome in Jake Ehrenskind, who is the co-founder and CEO of Pepper. And Jake is living the Just Get Started mission. I was so excited for him to come on the podcast and share his journey because he went from being an equity trader to having this idea, wanting to start this business, and then actually going ahead and doing it. And he's right in the thick of it now. Um, So he comes on to share his journey, not only what's going on today, but gives us a little glimpse over the last couple of years and how he got to this point. So I appreciate Jake coming on and sharing his journey. I hope you all enjoy the conversation. And without further ado, please welcome in Jake Ehrenskind. Well, Jake, glad to have you on the podcast, man. Thanks for joining today. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Really excited to chat. I'm always interested to chat with new folks, and and I know we got connected through a mutual friend, so it's it's fun to kind of see where you came from, where you're going, and especially we'll we'll chat about um, Pepper a little bit here in a second. And well, maybe we'll kind of start, and it's it's kind of with that. But you know, when I was doing some research online, I saw, and I kind of circled April 2020. It seemed like that was a time. I don't know if you had been thinking about an idea for a while, but it seemed like that was a time where it's like, if anyone's going to do this idea, it's got to be me. And I, and I kind of got to progress forward. So if that's appropriate, maybe that, that might be to, to kind of start our conversation, share a little bit about that time and in your life, we know what was going on in the world, but in your life and, and what was happening then. I think April, 2020 is the perfect time for us to start. I know I was just saying that that was actually the first payment we ever made for our first version in that month. So, you know, no, no perfect time to start. But then in terms of my life, I find myself actually as a prop trader working in New York City, having studied economics at Vanderbilt, um, about six months into my full-time job, I guess. And I remember leaving the office that day, opening up my email and seeing, or you know, early April, late March, whatever it was, seeing an email that says, you won't be in the office for at least another month. And I say, oh my God, that is unbelievable. You know, that seems like forever. A little bit I know that it would be years, but I remember going home and thinking, okay, that's kind of nice. You know, I can hang out at home, spend a little time, you know, dealing with my own personal projects and go from there. This is probably in late March. About four or five days later, everyone I know in New York City had left to go back home. I'm from New Jersey. So I said, you know, why don't I go alongside with them? I head back to New Jersey. And about a week or two into April 2020, I go on Instagram, I go on Snapchat, TikTok, whatever it is, and I start to see so much food content being posted and this kind of bubble in my brain burst and it said, Hey, you know, why are we not doing something to lean into supporting these creators? About six months prior, I had a conversation with my co-founder, Matt Skolnick about building a platform centered around food. I had noticed a group me he was in of his friends posting their homemade meals I asked about it. He told me exactly what it was. I went and made my own and it became one of the most active groups I was in. And six months later in April, 2020, it was kind of the moment where it said, what better time? A lot of founders have that kind of nervous 
decision to say, hey, you know, I want to do something, but I'm not really sure if I should do it. Should I take my first step? And I've kind of had that mindset on a lot of projects. This was kind of the first one that I said, I know this one's going to be successful, but I need to do something about it because if I don't, someone else will. And I distinctly remember a dinner in April, 2020 with a family friend. And I basically just asked him, Hey, if I wanted to go make an app, how would I go about doing it? And kind of off to the races. Then the next day I called up Matt, I said to him, Hey, Matt, remember that idea we talked about six months ago? Well, you know, I can't really work too much right now because my bosses at the prop trading firm aren't letting me get access to their platform. You know, God forbid my internet went down and when I'm in the middle of a trade, I can't really afford to have those losses. Um, so I found a lot of time in my hands. I want to move forward with this thing. And Matt said, you know, I want to do it with you. So that was kind of the inception of the idea. And like I said, you know, a couple of weeks later, we made our first payment to developers to build the V1 of Pepper. Mm. Why, uh, why food? Was that something that always intrigued you? Do you enjoy cooking? Like what was the, what was the, I guess, genesis of that specific uh, topic, I guess. I'm actually really grateful that that we're starting here with that question because I get asked all the time, oh, so you're a chef or something. And the answer is no, absolutely not. I'm actually the farthest thing for one, but I actually think that's what makes myself and my co-founder Matt and the rest of our team so well-suited for this project is because we all eat, everybody eat. That was kind of you know the go-to motto that we would say to each other when we were first building it. Food is one of the few things in the world, you know, you could probably count it on one hand that we all have some kind of a relationship with, whether it be, you know, sleeping, breathing and food, right? It's something that applies to everyone. It's something that we all enjoy. And food has had this unbelievable evolution from the times when, you know, cavemen were going out and hunting to literally survive to now us going. And, you know, just last week I was sitting down at New York City's restaurant week and just enjoying the unbelievable range that a chef can, you know, bring forward from their whether it's their backgrounds, their cultural representations, or just their interest in what tastes good. After having graduated, I started cooking myself, you know, trying to save money. And I started making, whether it's quesadillas or spaghetti and meatballs, anything that I could get my hands on. And I would always just, you know, pollute my family group chats with as many pictures of my food as I possibly could. And it's inefficient. And I was never going to go and make an Instagram for food because that's just not my thing. But at the same time, I was using vertical social platforms for, you know, parallel activities in my life, whether it be like Strava for exercise or Goodreads for reading or all trails for my hiking. We just realized there was a huge void in the food space. And as an entrepreneur, you know, I didn't think I would take that step so quickly. But when this massive opportunity turned up and I had so much time in my hand for the pandemic and I knew that something with the pandemic was going to change the way we all change our lifestyles, right? I thought, what better time than now for something that applies to everyone that we all enjoy that I right now am one of the perfect demographics of the everyday chef to go and lead it. So the problem, and, and, and I downloaded the app, I was looking through some of it. I'm, I'm assuming, tell me if I'm wrong in this. I mean, the problem you're trying to solve is, and it's something we all go through is like, hey, I want to cook X, whatever that is. Hey, I want to cook a new chicken dish or something. It's you got to go search on Google and you're typing in a million things and you're trying to sort through a bunch of recipes. And so the goal is to curate all of that into one platform and have better sharing of those. Is that the right idea with this? Or is there another kind of angle to, to the app or the, the goal of it? So you touched on a really important aspect of it. And actually, the exact words you used is what we're looking for. It's It's curation. It's curation of discoverability. You're right about that. You know, you don't want to have to sift through 
Google results and advertisements and, you know, stories that are just at this point blocking the actual recipe that you can get to, whatever it is, that is really important. But I, I do want to extend it even farther, that idea of curation. It's curation of image and audience. So what I mean by that is it's curating what you post because my Instagram profile is not made for food. And I imagine many other people feel that same way. Just like for many of the listeners, they post very different things on their Instagram story than their Snapchat stories. People curate their images on different platforms. Mm. On top of it, though, it's curation of audience. When I'm on Strava running, I don't want to post my, you know, God knows what average pace run to my thousand Instagram followers. I want my 25 friends probably, if even that, to be seeing my run. And it's that same thing with the intimate relationship you have with food. Maybe I don't want my thousand followers on Instagram to see all my food. Maybe I want, you know, 20, maybe I want 50, maybe I want a hundred, whatever it is. So curation is at the core of every different aspect of the application between the discoverability or the actual shareability of it. And that's really what we want to lean to as much. Enhance culinary collaboration across kitchens as much as we possibly can. And we offer tools to do just that. I want to get into the development of the app because that's going to be intriguing for a lot of folks. But before I do, I don't want to fail to ask this because I, I think this is the essence of the Just Get Started podcast. And it's around, you know, here you are, you graduated from Vanderbilt, you're early into equity trading. Um, where, where did you get the confidence to say I can start my own company? I think that's uh I think it helps to be a first time founder because you don't know what you're getting yourself into. And for all the drawbacks that come with being a first time founder, there's one really high positive. It's if I knew the roller coaster that would be coming, I might've been a little more nervous than I was, but you know, we kind of just took one step, put it in front of the other. And at some point you look around and realize, Hey, we're exactly where we want to be. And that's kind of the moment where you realize that this thing is legitimate. It's not just an idea anymore. Where do I get the confidence? Prop trading lends itself a lot better to being a startup founder than many imagine. It is a very independent experience. You know, I don't have someone breathing down my shoulder telling me what to do, at least being a prop trader, not just a, you know, a, a sales trader you know, for another company. I, I am given my own capital from the company, and I'm able to make my own decisions. Mm-hmm. On top of it, I was an intraday trader, which means that I had to buy and sell, typically within minutes, if not seconds, but definitely could not be holding overnight. So my mm-hmm. decisions had to be made within seconds, within minutes, whatever it is. So I was forced to decide risk-reward very quickly. And as a startup, you have to do that exact same thing. You have to judge what your risk-reward is in every decision you make. And when I judge the risk-reward for this idea, you know, this crazy idea of a cooking and social food platform, I thought, what is my risk, right? It's the time I'm spending, um, you know, the pressure I might put on myself to succeed because I'm now sharing it with my community. And beyond that, you know, whatever actual personal finances I put into it. But at the end of the day, if you really look at what the reward is, and let's not even think about the reward of building, you know, the next unicorn. Let's think about the reward of the experience you get, the knowledge you gain as a first-time founder from going through it. It is unbelievably higher and more rewarding in every facet than it is risky. So at least that was my personal position. And I took a chance. I want to be very clear that I worked two jobs for almost a year. You know, I was not fortunate enough to be able to leave my job and work for this company. I worked both. I needed a salary. I needed to take care of myself. And I cut down on as many expenses as I could so that I could go full time when the opportunity necessitated. 
So, and, and when you called your co-founder, um, because obviously you guys had talked about this a little bit, he was gung-ho, he was on board, like from the call one, or was there any hesitation there? So Matt is one of my closest friends from childhood. We went to sleepaway together since, you know, we were probably in single digits. We studied abroad in Barcelona together. He lives 15 minutes away from me at home. So he'd come to my high school, you know, as often as possible. Now we actually live together in New York City as roommates. So he was there with me, you know, cooking quesadillas and, and whatever else it was that we were making in our home. And when I called him up, you know, I think at this point, I probably have built up a little bit of uh, appreciation for going through with things in my life. And Matt heard how serious I was. And when you have a friend approaching you saying, I'm going to go and try and build a unicorn, do you want to do it with me? I think it's probably pretty difficult to say no, if you really believe in it. And it was his idea with mine. And, you know, you kind of just have to make some assumptions that things will go right in the long term, while making some decisions that you have to make go right in the short term. And short term, only a couple decisions had to be made. It was, you know, what are we going to name this? And who are we going to help uh, support to develop it? And for just getting started with that, I feel like it was a pretty easy decision uh, to, you know, take that step together. You, you all look back and obviously you got started, you kind of moved forward, but you, you mentioned, and, and you mentioned this earlier too, about you guys had this conversation. I think it was maybe late winter 2019, if I'm piecing it together, something like that. Was there a reason you didn't start then? Was there a reason you kind of held off to the spring and then it was kind of this, oh, we got to do this. What, what was the, the delta between those two moments? You are correct. The first document written up about Pepper, and I think at that point it was called Cookbook, was in January 2019. So pretty well before we actually went and did it. And the answer is simple, and it's very similar to what I imagine a lot of you know, entrepreneurs or people who want to be entrepreneurs in the future have had. It's, I have an idea, but where am I going to get started? What am I going to do? Who do I know? What can I do? How much money is this going to cost? And we were in that same position. You know, I was a full-time college student. I had a lot of my plate and I also had a lot of things that I want to go focus on elsewhere, whether it be, you know, my academics, my social life, whatever it is, getting a job. It just wasn't the time and place. We put a pin in it just like every other idea and said, you know, we'll get to this later. But when I came home in that pivotal April, 2020 month, I was fortunate enough to have a ground base. I was fortunate enough to have a foundation, have a little bit of money to my name and have a little experience and think, you know, I'm more capable of doing this. There's no one better prepared than I believe myself and my co-founder and the team that we were fortunate enough to, to build soon thereafter. Let's go and get started. So, you know, for us, and, and I said this earlier, the hardest obstacle you ever are going to face as an entrepreneur is actually the first one. And that's just putting your first step forward. It's saying, I want to make this and how am I going to get started? I think that building a company is such a daunting task. And people always ask me, how did you get this far? We didn't get this far by just leaping to today. You get this far by small accomplishments, small achievements, small steps, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And you do that by, you know, filling out a pitch competition form or making a logo or submitting like a video to Fiverr to, or, you know, putting together your first pitch deck, whatever that is, it's those small wins that are going to lead to the massive accomplishments that, you know, we've, we've come to see uh, in recent weeks and months since our launch. And that's probably a good transition because I'm curious how you all went about the, and you mentioned the, the first version of the app, probably, you know, we can call it maybe the MVP was early on, right after you guys decide, Hey, we're going to do this. Did you fund that yourself? Did you go out and get some angel investment? What was kind of the process there? Maybe in those first few months. 
So it's important to distinguish between two versions of the app. The app that we all know today, built by the team that we have today, on in the language that we have today. That is now where we started. We started building our V1 with a company that builds V1s that are very exciting to see as you know a first iteration, but are barely functional. Mm-hmm. So that's not to say anything about the team. We're very grateful for what they did, but they're made to really just say, hey, I'm holding this in my hand and do we have something? That V1, we funded as co-founders. And we said, this is what we want to put into the, into the company. This is what we feel comfortable. And we should have liability in the company. We should have you know, our, own, our own funds in there before we ask anything from anyone else. Once we were able to build that and we sent it around to some people, and we said, hey, this is fun. We have something here. We want to share food. It's, you know, Strava for cooking or on a higher level, Instagram for food, if, if you really want to go there. People enjoyed it. And we said, let's go now take the next step, right? After that, we did go and raise some fam- some, uh, some family and friends funded us, uh, which was obviously incredible. We we're fortunate enough to have such an amazing support system. And truthfully, you know, as much as it can get sticky at times to have family and friends in there, we never asked for very much from anyone. And to now see the success of the company, it is such an unbelievably rewarding and fulfilling feeling knowing that they're on the ride with us. It's not my thing. It's not Matt's thing. It's not our team's thing. It's everyone's thing. We're all in it together. And that makes it a very, very special journey. How did you all decide to, and, and again, share what you were able to, but like, how did you decide to figure out how, and I don't know if you guys did a safe agreement or if it was, you know, convertible, uh, you know, no, or anything. I'm not sure exactly how you set it up. So again, share what you're allowed to, but um, like, how did you decide to value the company in that first round of, of you know, family friends? So I am a stock trader at heart and I know that a stock is only worth as much as someone's willing to pay for it. Right. So at the time when we had found our development team, we were fortunate enough to form some kind of agreement with them to split between cash and equity. And based on that valuation, which we thought was perfectly reasonable and very much was in line with where we thought they were going to be willing to work at that rate. So we said, you know, this is what our going rate is. This is what someone's willing to be at with us. Let's go run with it and raise just a little bit of money to make sure that we can go and fund the rest of it. And since then, um, you know, it's kind of a little bit of dance between the founders and the team and your investors and whatever else um, you can get behind. But you, you typically figure out your valuation based on what the market's willing to pay. And it's, you know, very much so like, like a public company, um, but obviously, you know, a little bit different because you're setting your terms. It's a dance between each fundraising round. And, you know, to get started, we definitely ran with what was given to us. But since then, we've kind of been, you know, picking and choosing our spots of what we think is fair. What do you think put the your family friends that ended up throwing in you know a few bones to y'all? What what do you think put them over the edge? What, was there a certain you know pitch that you did that you thought was valuable? Maybe it was a certain feature. Like I, I, how how did, what was the what was the uh, the way that you angled it yeah. to say hey this is this is what we're trying to accomplish and got them you know hooked. What I'm very grateful for is how simple our concept is. It's very easy for people to understand what we're building. You know, it's a social media for food. It's a social media for cooking specifically. It's not hard to convince people of that idea. Now it's a matter of do people believe that that's necessary? And you have two sides of the spectrum. You have people who say, you know, that's amazing. I want to be a part of it because I don't want my friend to go and make the next great Facebook and me not be part of it, you know, having grown up with them my entire life goes back to that risk reward idea. You know, how much am I willing to pay? I know for myself 
that I straight out of Moneyball hate losing a lot more than I love winning. And if I have something that I missed out on that now has gone to the moon, I'm going to be a lot more upset than if I did get in on something and it went to zero. So I think that, you know, FOMO, that investor FOMO definitely kicked in. Um, but you also have the other side of the spectrum where we have some friends who say, here, I'll give you, you know, a couple hundred dollars. I want several percent of the company. And we say, you know, unfortunately, that's just not, not where we are today. Um, but as a friend, would love for you to just be an active user and support us as best as possible. So definitely two sides of it. And, you know, we, we're grateful for either. You know, if you go on and log on and make a post, that's amazing. If you go on and want to be an investor, that's a very different relationship. But obviously, we appreciate it to a whole different, um, you know, side of the spectrum. It's, it's, uh, it's a very exciting feeling to know that people have faith in you, not just from, you know, a mental position, but actually financially are there to support you. And it's something you got to toy with as a founder, you know, how much do you want to intertwine yourself with people around you? But if you find the right people that, you know, you're very upfront saying this literally could go to zero tomorrow because it's such a risky investment. Um, as long as they're comfortable with that, it's a, it's a pretty special relationship. And I'm so grateful that we took that lead. Yeah. You mentioned earlier too, about, you know, kind of hiring the team and, um, and getting a few more, you know, players involved besides you and, uh, and Matt. When, I guess, how far after that, you know, kind of V1 came out and, and you kind of were excited about the next step to hiring the first person or multiple people, what was the the space in between there? Um, like, and, and I guess even more further, you know, because this question comes up a lot in the podcast, like, how did you know when to hire, you know, the third person or, or what, what ended up being, you know, number three, if you will, besides you two? Yeah. So our third employee, or I guess you would call him employee number one, is an individual named Eli Silverman, an unbelievably talented and brilliant individual. He came to us through a friend of a friend of Matt's. He is unbelievably talented on a wide range of things, but he actually came to us with designs for the platform, a wireframe for Pepper. And he took, you know, whatever uh, very rough sketch I had made, literally drawing with a pencil and turned it into what we thought was the most beautiful thing we've ever seen. And it was a very natural addition to the team because Matt works in marketing. I work on administrative fundraising, connecting product, whatever it is. And Eli was really able to lead our creative. And that was on not just the wireframe uh, designs, but actually as far as working with Matt on the marketing graphics as well. And so he filled a ton of different roles and he was, you know, he, he was, and he has been ever since such an integral part of the team. And he right now is our chief creative officer. And I work hand in hand with him on our product. Um, you know, he, he makes our ideas come to life and it's actually really difficult for us to uh, take designs from anywhere else because he's so unbelievably talented and we have so little to add when he shows us designs that it was as good of a first employee hire as we ever could have imagined. And we're so grateful to have him. I think at the end of the day, you kind of just, everyone's going to have their own paths, but you got to listen when opportunities are in front of you. And you do have to have a pretty good gut as a founder because you're going to have to take a couple leaps of faith. And I'm very grateful for the leap of faith, including the one we took into Eli's arms was in good hands. One of the other things that, you know, again, it comes up a lot, actually, I mean, something I go through, I, I've been going through, and I know a lot of folks that have been in this podcast is, as you mentioned, hey, I, I was working a full-time job, but also growing this on the side. And if I saw properly, again, fact check me in this, there might've been maybe a year overlap where 
you were still working full time and then building this on the side. Because I think the, you know a lot of folks think, oh, you got to quit your job. And then the other side of the coin is, well, you don't have to quit it, but then you know I, I have zero life. I'm working you know 50 extra hours on this. Can you share again whatever you're comfortable with of like how much were you spending, let's say in that first six months to a year when you were kind of you know moonlighting as the as the founder there doing your full time job? So I, I worked a full time job. You know, for anyone listening that I worked with or my bosses, I was working as hard as I possibly could at my full time job. Um, you know, till literally the day I left, I would come in, you know, hours before market open and I would leave, you know, an hour or two after market closed and I would be locked in. I didn't touch anything pepper related the entire day. I tried as best as I could not to think about it too, but obviously that was a little difficult and I traded, I traded as much as I possibly could. And I was fortunate enough to put together some pretty awesome months. I was a very consistent trader. I, I wasn't very volatile, which is, you know, probably pretty representative of my personality. Um, but it's difficult. I was in a position that I could not quit my job. I would, the company was not in a position to pay me. I was not in a position to just leave and you know start spending money that I had. I'm, I don't really like doing that. I like to make investments. Um, so I juggled both. And it's not easy, but I'm very grateful that I did it. The company was not in a place that I was confident enough in it or that it necessitated all of my 24-7 attention. So what I would do is I got back from work. I would go and spend, you know, the rest of the night working on Pepper as much as I can. And after about 10 months of doing both, when and I was actually in the office trading. So it wasn't even like I was work from home. I couldn't juggle both. I, I was 100% in the office folks on my full-time job. The moment where I felt like I really needed to, you know, move away from my full-time job was in late May 2021. We launched our public beta and we were starting to get some interest from investors and partners, and we were starting to onboard our first users. And at that point, I gave myself a little bit of a nest egg about, you know, four to six months, said, I've been spending very, you know, intelligently the last couple of months, I have that nest egg to fall back on. This is my leap of faith. Every founder story you read, and I try to read as many as possible, you have to take that leap. And who am I to now, you know, not do it the same, I want to follow in the footsteps of other successful founders. So let me go and give myself that leeway. Let me see, hey, can I can I do this? Um, and I did. I left my job on, I believe it was June 9th on a Friday. And uh, I have not looked back since, but the company was unbelievable. They treated me so well. I, I was very grateful for my colleagues and bosses. And if anything, they made it a lot more difficult for me to leave. Um, but I'm, I'm very grateful to be working on Pepper full time today and for about, I guess, the last six to eight months. What was the uh, the day after? you quit like <laughs> <laughs> so it was a weekend it was a very nice weekend a very relaxing weekend but i think it was monday when it really kicked in and the first thing i had on my schedule was to write a linkedin post saying today i quit my job and make it as dramatic as possible <laughs> to try to get as much uh as much view as many views as i possibly could have and um you know crazy enough i actually did i got the most likes and views i've ever gotten on linkedin and it led to so many different calls, so many different people, some of which I'm still connected with today. And I feel like it's kind of a microcosm for my journey as a founder, where you kind of, you know, just throw a little vulnerability out into the air and people listen and you form relationships. And for everyone that helped me back then, I tried to uh, reciprocate that back to new founders that I meet today. The, entrepreneur, the entrepreneurial journey is uh, definitely one that's individual based, no matter how big of a team you have. Um, but just connecting with others in that space has been so valuable to me. And that first Monday when I 
you know, sent out that LinkedIn post, they flocked in masses and they were so supportive for me. And it just continued to motivate me even more as much as I possibly could um, to keep pushing forward. And I think I filled out my first three weeks with calls just based on that first post. So, you know, if I was ever concerned about being able to fill up a schedule on my own, that definitely qualmed them. So very grateful to have, have started there. Well, and, and it's always interesting too, because, you know, it's so easy to see, you know, whatever success is to anyone, right. That that's different across the board, but you see someone that's, let, let's just use that word is considered successful. They've launched the company, they've gotten funding, they've sold the company, whatever it is, right. When IPO, et cetera. But you always forget those early days. Some folks had a year, two years, five years that no one knew who they were and they were grinding on it. So I think that goes to show, and maybe that's why that LinkedIn post probably did so well. It's like maybe folks that knew you or didn't was like, hey, here you've been building for a little while. They can see that there were some, you know, breadcrumbs you were laying across the uh, the floor, but it's not like, you know, you were known to the masses. So it's like you did, you built it in silence you did what you did. And then it's like, Hey, listen, I'm moving to this next step. So I think it's part of that entrepreneurial journey is it doesn't happen overnight. Right. I, there, there's that opportunity to keep kind of putting one step in front of the other, even as cliche as that sounds, you know, you're, you're spot on and building a silence, you know, something I talk about with a lot of founders, every founder is so concerned that someone's going to go take their idea. Um, and that's, you know, something to be absolutely concerned about something to think about. And so for us, you know, we, we want to kind of walk that fine line between leaning into the audiences that we have on our own personal social circles while also building in silence. So we actually didn't post publicly about Pepper until three weeks before the launch of the public beta. So not in the app store. So that was about, you know, the first week of May and we launched the public beta on May 26th. And that was the first time that anyone outside our own social circle or our own personal circles here in New York city, you know, which is five, 10, 15 people, whatever it is, actually learned about the app. It doesn't happen overnight. And, you know, we wanted to build in public with our audiences, but we also really didn't show all of that, um, you know, path to get there, at least outside of our close friends and family. So it's a very interesting dynamic. But since then, you know, I post almost every single day on my Instagram and Twitter to just show everyone else, hey, guys, this is this is how you build a company. I'm going to fail a million times in front of you, but we might succeed a couple times as well. And I hope that you can all enjoy that with us so that maybe, just maybe, when you're thinking about doing your own thing, you, you realize that it's a lot more feasible. I think a lot of people look at anyone who you want to deem successful and they say, you know, I'm sitting here, they're sitting there. What does the path in between look like? You know, it's just darkness. But we want to try to illustrate each step between to try to show, hey, you know, it is a little bit more reasonable and there are a lot of failures along the way. And we're probably just a couple steps away from um, where we were when we first started, but at least we're moving a little bit to closer towards what, what we want to be our end goal, which is building a platform that supports creators worldwide while revolutionizing really the way we all share food and specifically homemade meals. I, I have to imagine, you know, and, and tell me if maybe you didn't go through this because it seems like everyone I talk to does is you have the idea and and when you start the company, it's like you're thinking all about the glamour, all this all the cool stuff that happens. But the daily grind of building a business and and you know getting funding and all those type of things. Could you share, is there a story or two of of a struggle you've had maybe in the last couple of years, you know, around the business and building it and anything that maybe at least gives folks like understanding, like, hey, listen, I'm gonna go through this, but here's some things to look out for. Yeah, uh, I think that, you know, I don't think I could have written a better script than this is something you watch out of the movie, but the night before our public beta launched, 
you know, something that we had told everyone was going to happen. Everybody, you know, all thousand of, of my followers and my co-founders and my teams and everyone else already knows on May 26, Pepper is launching. I wake up that morning and the app is broken. Everything is not working. It says I'm not following anybody. No buttons are working. And I wake up at 5 a.m. to this. And I am now up all morning on the phone with our developers trying to figure out, are we going to be able to launch literally the day of? And not only add my own personal desire to launch the app, but now you have the community pressure of, I told everyone I know. And there's too many people out there who, you know, we talk about things, just not go through with them. And I, and I don't want that. I want to make sure that people know when I say something, it's going to happen. And I remember thinking, you know, this, this is it. This is where, you know, it was too easy until today. And fortunately, a couple hours later, worked through as much as we could, as fast as we could, and kind of patched things up the best we can. I mean, kind of follow in the footsteps of any other major successful tech story uh, where you fake it till you make it, you know, at least most of those outside of the health department, um, you know, if we're thinking of some specifically, but it's just a path that, you know, you got to figure out as you go. And uh, there's times that you got to, you know, tape some things together and glue some broken pieces. And uh, that morning was one of those days. And since then, I've had many, many of them. I kind of ride both sides of the spectrum. It, the founder's journey is a roller coaster. And when people say that, you know, listen, because it is. I could wake up one day and think, oh, my God, we're going to have a million users in a month. And other days I think, wow, you know, can't believe we're not going to make it. Like, that sucks. And over time, you learn to just be a little more even keeled and to ride the waves a little bit more acceptingly. You say, you know, today we have an amazing high. We had a huge milestone, but I know that there's more to come. So let's just keep our head down and keep grinding while enjoying it as much as I can. And when you have those low days, you know, hey, things are a little low right now, but that probably means we're due for a high soon. And that's exciting. And I think to kind of uh, accept that both are coming is a a pretty um, gratifying feeling, uh, something that, you know, definitely takes a load off your shoulders as a founder. So where are we at right now? We're, we're recording this end of January, 2022. So almost two years of, of this kind of inception of idea. Where are things at with the app, with the company, anything you'd share, good, bad, and different um, that you're, that you're able to? Yeah. So, you know, to be very clear, we launched our app on September 4th of 2021. So, you know, just a couple months back, um, about three months later on December 9th, we actually reached our first 10,000 downloads. Hmm. Now for me, that was a huge milestone because I had actually connected with a founder who had built a similar app. And when I chatted with him, I asked him, Hey, how many users did you have in the end? And he said, you know, by the end, we had about 10,000. And I remember thinking, oh my God, that is crazy. Imagine if we had 10,000 users. If we had 10,000 users, I would think that we had made it. So it was a very big deal for us. In that time, we had become ranked number one in the iOS app store for Pepper. We also were the number one ranked search result if you looked up social cooking or recipe sharing, passing some incumbents that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, if not many more, including a Japanese public company that does social food in Japan. Um, but since then, we've seen a pretty unbelievable uh, boost in our growth. So as of this morning, we are approaching the 50,000 download mark. Um, we have more than quadrupled you know, in the last six weeks. We right now um, hit a high of 82 on the iOS food and drink rankings 
at one point actually passing New York Times cooking, which makes me smile because of how many people said, hey, you know, there's a Goliath in the recipe space already out there. There's no reason for this. And with that passing, it was very clear to us that we are filling a void in the culinary and social space. Um, on top of that, we, you know, continue to, to move up every day. We are right now working with some pretty unbelievable creators and individuals on the app that we now are seeing a very new dynamic where individuals are getting more likes and saves on their recipes than the followers they have, which means that we've not only created a social space, but we've actually we've now created a discovery space, a space that you are now finding what you want to eat instead of just having those individual tools of sharing what you're making. Um, we are very excited to be releasing some uh, pretty remarkable updates very soon with our recently hired in-house developers. Um, and very excited to continue sharing updates with you all as we grow. I will mention we did launch for Android uh, in late December as well. So now we are fully accessible to all platforms. Well, congrats, man. That's some pretty cool stuff. I'm, I'm, I can only imagine just kind of as you see those numbers uptick and, and some of the opportunities that come with this. So that's awesome to, uh, to hear. What, uh, let me get you out on this. Um, you know, you've obviously gone through an incredible journey the last few years so folks listening in that maybe they have an idea they've talked about, you know, around the dinner table, they've done some different things, but, um, but haven't actually started it. Any advice or insight, maybe it's a quote um, you live by, whatever it is, there's no right or wrong way to, to put this, but what would you share with that individual um, to kind of get them kicked into gear, get started? I, th I think I have two here and it's for two individuals. It's one that hasn't gotten started and one that's gotten started, but you know, it's a little slow moving. So first and foremost, I think, you know, you have it right on the head, Brian, it's just get started, just do it. It's in my LinkedIn bio. It's just 99.9% .9 of us have ideas every single day that very likely could be the next greatest company, but you know, 99.9% .9 of us don't go and do anything about it. And it's that 0.01% that actually go and do something that are, leaps and bounds ahead of those that don't because they're at least trying. And if they fail, at least they get the experience to do just that. My grandpa said something to me that really resonated when I first started, you know, when I was maybe a little down about some issues that I was having, maybe it was the whole app breaking before beta launch, whatever it was. He said to me that, you know, Jake, you should welcome any obstacles you face because that's one more obstacle that your competitor will have fallen at. And I thought that was pretty special. And um, it's something that I've definitely tried to live by since and welcome all the difficulties we have because whenever I hear about someone else trying to do a social food app or whatever it is, I don't really get too worried because if we're going to succeed or fail, it's going to be on our own terms. It's not going to be on someone else's. So for anyone else out there that's thinking about getting started, just try. Even if you fail, this, the experience you will have is worth a million times the risk of you maybe not succeeding or embarrassing yourself or whatever you think may happen it's nothing compared to the success and excitement that you can have from just getting started. I also want to add my favorite quote that has come up through my own entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey and has resonated beyond anything I could have imagined is things tend to happen slowly until they happen all at once. And I have lived by those words over the last several months and they have rang true time and time again. You know, it took three months for us to get our first 10,000 downloads it took three more weeks to get our next 10,000. And it took, I think it took another 10 days to get our next 10. So a lot of people ask you, you know, oh, how are you, how's your user growth growing? It's taking a little while. You added a 50 here, a hundred there. 
just for a couple of weeks later, them to say, oh my God, you know, you broke 25K, you broke 30K, you broke 40K, whatever it is. Um, it's that liberating feeling of saying like, we're out there and we're growing and there's nothing that's going to get in our way to stop us. That's pretty unbelievable. So even when the going gets tough, even when things are slowing down, just know that when things start to pick up again, you're never going to remember how slow things were. You got to build things by hand, brick by brick. You know, it's not going to go and build yourself. You don't just go viral when you want. You really got to work at it. And I'm very fortunate to have such an unbelievable team supported by my co-founder, Eli, as I mentioned, and everyone else in the team um, to really, you know, build this company brick by brick. It's a, it's a special feeling to see, you know, almost 50,000 people and their lives be affected and intertwined with something that we have spent a year and a half building ourselves. So, you know, keep on chugging along, keep on building in, in front of your friends to, add that little bit of extra support for you um, and just get started. There's no better time than now. Jake, great words. Uh, <laughs> and I love the optimism. I love the perspective, the, uh, the gratitude you have. So, and I'm not surprised that you guys have, uh, have done what you've done so, uh, so far. So excited to see the growth and where can everyone get the app and, and any other details, I guess, for the company. Yeah. Thank you so much for the kind words, Brian. I really appreciate it. Very grateful to be here today. To find the app, I can very proudly say that if you look up Pepper on uh, your phones, whether you have an iOS or Android phone, you will find it at the top of the listings. Uh, on top of that, feel free to check out our website, peppertheapp.com. Feel free to check us out on any social platform at Pepper the App, um, or feel free to check out my own personal, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is, I'm just Jake Aronskind on any, or also very proudly, I am just Jake on Pepper. Uh, very excited to have you know the single name username. Um, feel free to reach out in any capacity, DM me, DM the company, tag us, post your recipes, we'll repost them. We are here to support all of you. We are only built and supported by our community. So anything that we can do to give back, um, we try to do. I will just mention that we've donated over 30,000 meals to Feeding America at this point, just based on, you know, reaching different milestones or, you know, Giving Tuesday and, and, and whatever else, uh, we've pushed past in the past. So we are trying to, you know, support the community that has given back to us time and time again, as best as we can. If there's any way that we can support you as a group or individually, please let us know. We, we respond to everything. That's awesome, Jake. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was a tremendous pleasure. And uh, thanks for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. I really appreciate it. Hope to be back soon. Hey everyone, just one more quick thing before you skip along in your day. You know, if you do enjoy this content or other things that I've put out or just enjoy learning more and trying to adapt your thinking uh, to become happier each and every day, there's a couple of things that you may benefit from. Um, if you go to my website, brianondraco.com forward slash subscribe, you can sign up for my newsletter that goes out once a week. And that's really a digest of a lot of information that I gather throughout the weeks, whether it's a new video that I think could be informative or a podcast that's been valuable to me, book that I might read, etc. Um, secondly, I blog three times a week, and these are more micro blogs, one to five minute reads, short digestible blogs that'll send right to your inbox on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. So check that out on my website, brianondraco.com forward slash subscribe if you think it's something you might enjoy. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.